Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to this episode of What's Next. I am your host, Tiffany Bova, and I have the honor of welcoming my friend, Mitch Joel, to the show today. I can't believe after like almost seven years that you've never been on the show, but today is the day. Today is the day. Mitch Joel is the co-founder of ThinkersOne, which we're going to talk about, a platform that empowers companies with personalized and bite-sized thought leadership from the best thinkers in the world. He's written two amazing books, which I love. His first was Six Pickle Pixels, Six Pixels of Separation. Say that fast three times. <laughs> Named after his successful blog and podcast, it's a business bestseller. His second book, Control Alt Delete, was named one of the best business books of 2013 by Amazon. He's just an all-around great guy. Welcome to the show, Mitch. Oh my God, I'm here with Tiffany Bova. How excited am I? And by the way, just so you know, my third book, not yet written, is going to be called Six. Pickles of Separation. It's a cooking book. You're going to love it. I promise. Six pixels of separation. Yeah. There we go. You know, I often joke when I meet somebody and then it's that six degrees of separation that I will say six pixels of separation. Huh, I marketing works. I, marketing <laughs> works. All right. All right. So we're going to start off with my infamous uh, bullish and bearish. I ask you a couple questions. You let me know if you're bullish or bearish. Are you ready? Yeah, let's do this. I love it. All right. The first one, an AI bass player, bullish or bearish? Oh, I am very bullish on this. I've actually seen some incredible early demo apps for music productions. They call them DAWs, digital audio workstations, which is where producers and recorders spend their time creating music. And some of the integration of generative AI tools is mind-blowing. Like telling it, I want more hi-hat, more cowbell would be a great one too, I think, actually, now that I think about it. So do I believe that there will be this type of technology? I think it's already here and it's just simmering on the stove. So very, very bullish on anything like that. All right. Next one. Bullish or bearish? Public libraries. Very bullish. Probably did some research and you know that I just literally finished my mandate as the president of the executive council of my local public library during the pandemic. I did a video show where I interviewed members of the community. We have a pretty amazing community. I think that libraries are the ultimate third space and I'm willing to even bet that people who are really thinking about offices for smaller groups might be leveraging libraries as that third space. And for me, there is no better third space in my life when I don't want to come to the physical office or work from home. You will always find me in the local public library. Even when I travel to cities, I'm such a nerd. I actually go touring public libraries. That's how big of a nerd I am. Okay. What's your favorite public library? I'm going to diverge from my rules and ask another question within Bullish and Bearish. Go. It's a tough one, but I will say for location and just really opening your mind to libraries, not being about like, shh, be quiet and being lively places. The Boston Public Library is pretty amazing because you walk in, there's a bakery, there's the local radio station that actually records live in that. So it just has you do this 180 around this idea that libraries are quiet and hush. And if you're staying in that area, which most people who visit Boston are, again, great place to go work if you're tired of staring at your hotel furniture. Love that. All right. The third one, bullish and bearish. Are you ready? Yeah, let's go. Supersonic travel. Oh, please. The, if you could say to me, like, really, Mitch, what would you love in life? <laughs> Besides a, a PJ, like having a private jet, which is out of the domain right now, based off of my speaking fees, I would say I want the transporter technology from Star Trek 
So if I have to take a happy middle ground, it's going to be supersonic jets. Get me anywhere in 45 minutes or less. You have my loyalty and undivided attention. So I'm taking that as a bullish. Oh yeah. Full on. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I got three, I got three, three bullish. I, I feel like that was a, a success. I'm a uh, tech optimist. Are you really shocked by this? <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> okay. I'm not. Yeah. Well, listen, you spend a ton of time in talking with, advising, conversing with people around this wide range of topics. And I know you have a ton of thoughts around chat GPT and AI, but I'm going to get a little specific. Um, chat GPT for marketers, let's start there because I know that it's kind of been this, wow, it's this tool we didn't know we had where a lot of this technology has been around for a minute. It's just now kind of made it to the consumer zeitgeist, if you will. But where do you think that marketers specifically have an opportunity for ChatGPT. There's no doubt that when I think about AI and what I'll call the commercialization of it, because I think you and I know that the actual B2B or back office commercialization of AI has been going on for, we'll call it under a decade, but probably in the five-year space in terms of there being hygienic enough data to really make this effective for larger institutions that could afford to implement this. This shift to me feels as big as when I had the first web browser put in front of me and going back before that, maybe even the first modem going before about that, maybe the first personal computer, then going forward, things like the advent of social media or a smartphone, the iPhone would be the trademark you'd probably use in that case. So there is no doubt that what we are living through is both an exponential shift in how marketing or any other occupation gets done. There's no doubt that when you look at it exponentially, what you're seeing inside of it is this tool that even with an exponential acceptance by consumers of it, its ability to get better and better at a speed of which none of us are used to is also transformative. I'm at the point, and it's staggering to say this, where we're recording this in April of 2023. In January of 2023, I was somewhat stepping back from self-marketing and social media and just got tired of the whole promote, promote, promote. And by integrating some of these tools, ChatGPT being one of them, it's completely transformed my workflow. And now whether it's text, images, audio, or video, there's not a component of it where I don't have AI as my co-pilot. So there's this general sentiment that you and I have been talking about, this idea that AI will replace XYZ. I, I saw Dan Martell, who's an author and a, a coach and works with SaaS businesses, say this, but then I saw it in other places, so I don't know who sourced it, but it's not that AI is going to replace marketers. It's that somebody who knows how to use AI is going to replace marketers. And for me, just even seeing it, how it's really injected itself into every component of the things that I create that are both produced for the public or not, I can't think of any technology that permeated my workflow that fast and that effectively. I can also look at it and think to the thousands of people I wound up hiring over the course of my career running an agency. And I can tell you that it has within a swath fundamentally replaced any junior person I would have hired and does the work really, really effectively. I laughingly say that because it just really listens to instructions quite well. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I have played with, with uh, chat GPT a little bit and moreover, probably the last you know, six or eight months than I did probably, obviously before that. 
And, and I see the value for sure. But what I also always go back to, and I'd love your opinion on this, is I remember when that kind of, we're going to automate marketing and selling, right? We are going to blast these quote unquote personalized messages, you know, through some social media platform. Let's just pick like LinkedIn as an example. I don't know about you, but I get these in-mail messages of people <laughs> trying to sell me CRM. It's like, well, if you spent five seconds on my you know, profile, you'd see I work at Salesforce. Probably not a good pitch for me. I, I mean, unless you work at Salesforce and try to sell me Salesforce, probably equally bad. Or it's, you know, do you want to buy leads? Or I have this great startup. We're looking for investors. Maybe, right? But it kind of misses the mark. And so I always used to say, you know, a decade ago when this started to become much more prevalent, that kind of social selling became the next training ground, if you will, was if you're not good offline, getting the amplification using technology is worse. And so yeah. I kind of feel like that with ChatGPT, right? It, maybe the information is 90% correct and 10% not correct. Maybe it's 70 or 30. Maybe there's one really important point that isn't correct. And if the person who's generating it doesn't do a little work behind it, right, or go and validate whatever they're doing, that could impact the effectiveness, if you will, of that kind of leverage, like you said, of a marketer using it is what puts another marketer out of business. Yeah, there's two thoughts that I have when you say that. One is any great technology works best when it's invisible to the public face or the consumer. And I would challenge anybody to listen to my podcast or read anything I've written and you tell me what's me and what's the AI, you will not be able to. And I'm literally talking about the AI creating my own voice in places in my audio podcast. So one aspect is it needs to fundamentally be invisible. Two is this replacement ideology has never really functioned with me. If you go back to the early days of even my first book and when I started blogging in 2003 or whenever it was, everybody was talking about how social is going to destroy advertising or media as we know it. And my sentiment has always been the same is everything is with, not instead of. And what I would push back on is say, look, the people who have used these CRMs really, really effectively are the ones where it feels invisible and they're using it in a way where it's very, very effective. My biggest lesson from running a digital marketing agency for as many decades as I did is the brands that do this the best are not the ones talking about it. They're simply doing it. And so whenever I see these other stories or people saying you should do this or shouldn't do this, I know because I was in the weeds with these clients that are large brands that were very effectively spamming you <laughs> in a much better way. Yeah, because I think th it goes back to, you know, I, I often speak with clients about this topic of, you know, I'm going to get in the weeds for just a second, but the average salesperson spends about 28% of their time selling. That's it. And so I know there's a lot of ways in which you could increase the amount of time they were doing those high value client interactions. And you could argue a marketer, same thing, right? Yeah. Or a customer service agent, same thing. What percentage of the people who work for you's time is spent doing things that were not what you hired them to do, right? Or it's a very nominal entry level task that you have a high value expensive resource doing, right? It's kind of, yeah. how do you play that chess game of where human 
with technology, where technology alone, where human alone, right? You're moving this chessboard of resources you have at your disposal. I don't study or do magic, but I love the space of magic. And I used to do it when I was a kid with the old suitcase and the coloring book that I could show you was empty pages and then colored pages. That's about the extent of my skill. But if you study magic in terms of just it as an art, there's a very true part of technology that most people aren't exposed to. I'll use the example of magnets. Before magnets were commercialized and people knew what they were, people like magicians would get this quote unquote technology before anybody else. And people would marvel at how they would do this. And then once that technology became more widespread, they moved on to other techniques. I can't use magnets. I'll use fishing lines or whatever types of new technology. And and magicians to this day are using really complex technology to pull off tricks. Some of them have become artists hundred percent. In fact, I'd argue a lot of them are artists. There's no doubt about it. And I feel like the tools that we use are the same. And so when I think about my use of platforms, whether it's ChatGPT or a video audio platform like Descript, I do think of it like that magic trick. Like I'm still that person who's using it in that different way where everyone else is going, look, these two pieces of metal stick together and it's amazing. You know, that's what a magnet is, right? I got it. I do believe that once we get over this hurdle, because we're still in that early adoption phase, you will see it commercialized more because people will do things like create a layer to it that will be the better prompt for it. And you're already seeing this being done. What's crazy about this is just the speed by which all of this is being implemented. So when I think of things like salespeople and chat GPT, what I think about is what if they actually inputted the five standard rejections they get and asked GPT to produce the ways in which you would overcome those objections. And perhaps in that, you will read something that will trigger a different thought for you. So I'll often take articles that I'm asked to speak about in the media, on radio, podcasts, whatever. I'll input it, and I will ask it to act like a media researcher and provide to me five counter-arguments for that. And I can tell you that in just doing that, it has sparked so much creativity in me, my desire to want to write an article about it, or even actually and candidly see that perspective in a different way that I might not have said, because it's easy when you read these articles to go on the radio and reinforce the message. But when you really start thinking about it and chat GPT as a tool for that research, when you tell it how to act and conduct itself, it could be really powerful. So I'm not looking at it, whether it's right or wrong, actually. You know, my line now is like using AI as if it's Google is like using Google to create a tweet for you. It's just that absurd to me. So people are like, oh, it's not putting out the right answer. I'm like, I wouldn't be asking it questions like that. I would be using it as my brainstorm buddy, as my junior copywriter, as somebody who can verify or check how I'm writing something from a spelling or grammatical point of view. You could ask it to take something you've written, Tiffany, and in a table, write this in five different writing styles. And I got to tell you, it's really humbling to read your own writing written in a persuasive way or a humorous way or a more candid way. Even that, I wouldn't copy paste that, but to make me a better writer, it's been incredibly powerful. And I think those are all really great examples. You know, if you're listening to this and you've started to play with it, there's all kinds of resources by which you can learn how do I actually use this in my day to day? Where can I use it? When do I use it? What will it help me do? And I think you you nailed something that I think is really critically important, especially now, is this trying to unlock curiosity in people. 
that have we just become so deaf to the sounds that we don't actually hear those signals and things that are changing or different points of view that we're talking not to listen, but talking to sort of just hear ourselves, you know, and can we use these kinds of tools to really unlock that curiosity, which is where I think the greatest learning happens. Yeah. I mean, there's a million podcasts. Yours and mine are not unique in that way. What makes them unique are the questions you're asking. This idea of better questions, better prompts would be the AI lingo for that. To a salesperson, think about the work we're seeing in sales. Who is really getting the sales? It's the individuals who could walk in with a potential customer, have better conversations, ask better questions, and in the end, ultimately come up with a better solution that, by the way, sometimes may or may not even include the product they sell. Yeah. And, and I think that that's where I just think we just have a ton of opportunity. I think we have a ton of opportunities. So let me, let me pivot from that a little bit. Beyond that, you know, kind of chat GPT, AI, what has really excited you of late? You know, you get this, this opportunity to watch the landscape in a very unique way. And so what, what do you think is, is most interesting to you besides those two we just talked about? I mean, it's self-serving, but I didn't see myself starting a new business. And I found myself almost pushed against a wall into the corner that prompted me to start this business, Thinkers One. And what excites me about it is I just have been through, as a professional, everything from the financial crisis to a global pandemic. And I can tell you that in that, there has never been a waning of people wanting access to people like you and I, who think in different ways who can add value to their business. For me, what is very exciting is the fact that these tools, video, audio, the stuff we're using to record this, have become so commonplace that now people that are typically only accessible at the big customer summit or the big annual event, we have decentralized and democratized that. And so, yes, it's a business for profit, but from a social perspective, I love the fact that myself and my peers can now be accessible to everyday meetings in a world where, hello, who wrote the book on EX that is now there, your book really resonates with. It's like you have to figure out how to surprise and delight your team members and give them tools. So one is I love that. And then two is when you do things like this, it's also accessible to smaller startups, nonprofits, NGOs, departments that typically don't have that. And again, whether it's Thinkers One or other ways in which we're doing that, I think technology's facilitation of making stuff like the way we think accessible is really, really profound. And, you know, it's why I'm also very bullish on your book. I'm not just saying that because we're here, but I see that there's things happening in the zeitgeist for people like you and I that really understand that we're not going to move forward if we don't treat our employees and team members with that level of respect and appreciation and need like we do our customers. So, you know, when your book came across my desk, I was kind of taken aback going, this is exactly what I'm talking about. So I love this space that you and I are both occupying right now. Yeah, and I think it, what, what's been great is on the backside of a very difficult and stressful and anxious time through the pandemic, we came out the other side, depending on where you're listening to this in the world, right? You're in different phases of, of that comment. But we are starting to have conversations we were not having sort of pre-pandemic, just about flexibility of work, where we work, how we work, kind of success from anywhere, um, using tools, 
you know, giving a little bit of time back to someone's day versus sitting in a car. You know, I'm in Los Angeles and when I used to have to drive to downtown, I've worked from home for almost 18 years, but when I used to have to drive downtown, you know, it was an hour and an hour. So it was two hours a day. And when I was working at my job prior to uh, working for Gartner, it was almost an hour and a half each way. I was three hours a day in a car, like literally. I would do my team calls, but what a waste of time. I, I couldn't get myself around that, like, let me work from home. It was just too early. So I feel like even flexibility for how people buy, where they buy, what tools they use, you know, where people work, how they work, how they collaborate. It's asking really great questions. I hope we don't snap back to some of the bad habits because it's uncomfortable. Change is uncomfortable and hard, but I'm hopeful that we hang on to some of the things that we learned that have really showed uh, promise. Yeah. And one of the lessons I took from your book, which again was like a moment of highlight for me with Thinkers One is if you're doing things that work, whether everybody is physically there, some are hybrid or it's remote, that's going to be the win. Like I hear your story and I laugh because here I sit in my physical office space, which is an eight minute walk from my physical house. And people would say, well, you've got a great home office. Why would you work from? I need that separation. And I think what I hear, and I had that even in our conversation that we had for my podcast is we really have redefined the word work and the word work, even in context of our culture and our company for working together is completely redefined by the jobs that the people keep in that company. And this challenge of this employee experience, I think is now magnified in this idea that we just can't simply say, this is our culture. I think the culture is going to really be predetermined by not only how we decide to show up, but who in the organization has to show up and when. And by the way, I don't think that this is easy. I know many C-level executives who are really struggling with less than five-day work weeks in terms of physical because when people do show up, nothing actually happens because everybody's so excited to be together that it winds up being more meetings than before. Zoom is another example of that where people are saying that pop by, hey, Tiffany, let's have a coffee, let's do this, has now been relegated to 15, 30, 45, 60-minute slots. That's not helpful either. So I think for every positive I hear, there's a counter, which leads me to believe that how we define work is going to go through its own redefinition right now. And I, and I think it's long-term overdue, right? I mean, I think we've been working the same way for a really long time. Like who picked nine to five? Well, you know, we could go back in time and how that happened, right? It happened because there was someone staying home with the kids, <laughs> And it worked. There was sunrises and sunsets too, right? Yeah. Right. And, uh, you know, time change and all those things, right? Worked at a, at a different time. And so I hope the things we've learned out of this, I don't think it goes back to the way that it was. I also don't think it stays the way that it was. I think it falls somewhere in the middle. And that ambiguity, I think, is what makes people a little nervous. But you know, listen, thankfully, technology ha- was there to sort of catch the inability for people to continue to work had it happened 20 years ago, 25 oh, years ago. I mean, can you imagine? Yeah, it, it, it just, it just wouldn't have worked. I mean, you know, I was using dial up in 1997, you know, and I'd have to dial up, download what I needed, disconnect, and then do my work and then dial up again and upload yeah, and if everything. Someone picked right? up the phone, you had to redo it. <laughs> the other big part about this though, and I think it's the real macro challenge here that I get somewhat bearish on to use that phrase, it's education. Because if we're going to redefine this, but we still have people of the same age sitting together in rows for eight hours a day and then 
prescribing them homework to do I just don't know how that doesn't get completely reinvented, redefined. And I just believe in living up here in Canada, when it comes to things like government-based pedagogies and infrastructures, we struggle with this. And by the way, if people aren't even sure what that means, just think about crypto and crypto winter. Think about this idea that we all wanted this idea of something decentralized until we realized that everything we have is within a centralized economy. So, hey, Tiffany did something very nefarious with my Bitcoin. The only way for me to actually truly resolve that was to walk into a centralized system, the legal system, and do this. I'm not saying that one is better than the other. I'm just saying that and I believe very strongly in crypto, Bitcoin, and decentralized economies. But for us to get there, it really requires a massive reframing. So I agree that work has to change, but I can't imagine it changing if school doesn't change. Well, I'm all for school changing. I'm a visual listen learner, not a read learner, right? Yeah. And education is sort of like, read this, absorb it all, that. regurgitate <laughs> that, take a test and now you know it, but you don't know how to apply it. You don't know where am I ever going to use this again, you know, those kinds of things. And so I think this a mixed media of learning is is helpful. Like I need to go back and listen to the lecture again, or I want to watch the lab while I'm doing it so that I'm learning as I'm doing versus just learning. And then I have to recall all that and then try and go do it to this point, right? If you think of just this whole design thinking of, you know, we want to iterate, we want to fail, we want to learn, we want to keep going. And, and so, you know, I'm all for that. I feel like there's a lot of things simultaneously that have the opportunity to change and be better. I think the trick is, uh, or the challenge is either way, is where do you even begin? So, yeah. you know, for those people listening to this podcast that are individual contributors or, you know, startups or, you know, first time managers or even leaders of divisions or companies, what would be your sort of takeaway advice based on everything we've just said, or the two or three things you'd advise them to think about and or try and do as they, as they look forward for the remainder of the year? I always say I'm very employable because I talk about the future. So it's a very long and wide road for me. And I believe that to be a very important skill set for everybody. Instead of putting your head in the sand or stepping away from it or reading just the headlines, the technology is easy enough at this point for you to actually put your hands into it, play around and see for yourself. That would be part one. Part two would be that I'm learning through the process of Thinkers One and since the late 80s having conversations with people like Tiffany and others that your ability to actually cogently communicate an idea broadly, not just to friends, family, and your small cohort, but to everyone at scale is a really critical skill. And that's going to take you a lot further than a lot of the other stuff we actually spoke about. Spend time figuring out how to become a better communicator. And that's both inputting and outputting of information. I think if you can do those two things, that becomes very defendable against an AI overlord and or somebody you're trying to beat out for the next job. Great advice. Well, Mitch, how can people keep in touch with you, follow your work? You know, if you don't listen to his podcast, highly recommended. So you might want to start there. I appreciate it. Yeah, just go to sixpixels.com for all things content-wise, podcast articles, stuff about me speaking. And then Thinkers One, if you're thinking about how do I bring smart people like Tiffany and me into your everyday meetings. <laughs> <laughs>
All right. Well, listen, Mitch, it's been a pleasure. And like I said, I can't believe seven years and I had never had you on and I've been on your show twice. So I feel I have to catch up. So thank you so much. I am grateful for you spending your afternoon with us here on the What's Next podcast. For the rest of you, thank you for joining us. Please don't forget to subscribe, leave some feedback, and we'll look forward to having you join us again next time. Thank you, everybody. Thank you.